Hello, welcome back to Why Did Peter Sink? Have an exciting episode here. Um, inside this episode is a special treat. You have you will get an Enlightenment propaganda decoder ring. You don't even have to send in any box tops for it. Uh, this is part 11 of a long series we've been doing. This one is called Me Speak Babble, subtitle The Gate of God. All right, let's get started today. Uh, look for the decoder ring as we go. Now, the reason I found it impossible to understand anything in the Bible when I was fallen away is because of one simple fact. I did not really believe in God. Once I had readmitted that God was real, I still struggled because I did not really believe in spirits. And this blocks all understanding of what Jesus is up to in nearly every interaction that he has. It's not surprising people get nothing out of the Bible today since our present bias considers spirits to be the mere superstitions of uneducated fools. Our long march through the Enlightenment left our souls somewhere back in, I don't know, a few centuries ago. And now we have to turn the bus around and go back to retrieve the other half of ourselves. Notice that whenever Jesus heals someone, he cures by removing something and or making something whole. He often drives out a spirit, and spirits are everywhere in the gospel. They seem to not only rule the nations, but they overtake people, individuals. A general observation of mental health in today's world suggests that little has changed since the time of Jesus. These healings happen without full explanation, but there is clearly something spiritual at work, something supernatural. Let's run down the list. Jesus drives out a spirit in Capernaum. He drives spirits into a herd of pigs. He heals a demon-possessed child. He heals a boy with an unclean spirit. That's just for starters. He re-infuses the spirit into dead people, reanimating them. He does this to Lazarus, to Jairus' daughter, um, and a widow's son. These are garden variety miracles of resurrection for Jesus, not the resurrection, capital R, that Jesus does to himself that conquers death. Uh, next, let's consider the numerous healings of blindness and deafness. There are seven of these alone. Plus, he heals deformities, skin diseases, and even paralysis. Then there are the mystery illnesses that, like, for example, Peter's mother-in-law who has a fever, who he just heals instantly. Then there's the chronically ill woman in the crowd who has been hemorrhaging for years and years. There's the many healings at Genesaret or Genesaret. Um, then there's the dropsy cure on the Sabbath and the healing of the official's son in Galilee. None of these medical cures require a scalpel or a prescription. And he even reattaches an ear in a split second without any plastic surgeon in sight or proof of insurance. Without understanding that Jesus came to a spirit-filled world, how can you possibly understand or relate to anything in the Bible? I really don't think you can, because the awareness of God, spirits, angels, and demons is fundamental. And in our disenchanted scientific model, we don't live in the best of all possible worlds. We live in the boringest of all possible worlds. It's no wonder that every libertine becomes so dull as they age and end up looking ridiculous in their luxury cars and hanging out in nightclubs. Our, our scientific obsession has sliced our ability to understand scripture by shifting our thoughts into a pancake-flat rationalism 
into reason alone or nature alone, and it's ripped clean away from the spiritual life. We've lost a whole dimension of understanding by canceling our souls and God. But the funny thing is that the cancel culture cannot cancel what is true, and God and souls are real. We can hear them knocking on the culture now quite loudly while we put our fingers in our ears and try to talk over it. Oddly, in our collective transition from beings with body and soul into just a body and mind, we have become less and less connected to nature. This may be the greatest irony of all. In our obsession with nature as the answer to all things, we have moved further and further from the woods. We believe nature is the only thing that is real, but in our actual lives, we mostly experience nature on TV, not outdoors. And if we do get outdoors, we make sure to bring plenty of hand sanitizer in order to quickly make ourselves clean again. Um, you, you can't make this stuff up. I think the ancient Israelite cleanliness rituals have nothing on today's materialist germaphobes. COVID protocols doubled the fear for those already afflicted with the fear of germs. The bright side of COVID is that people started to realize that nature must be experienced and not merely narrated by David Attenborough. The exodus from cities and the throngs of people cramming into our national parks attest to the fact that a change in mood about those flyover states and rural living is currently happening. There is a transition happening as the candle of the enlightenment begins to flare out, particularly as its pursuit of truth through pure materialism and liberalism has led us directly into postmodernism. And postmodernism is the poster child of relative truth, and it is the antithesis of actual objective truth. So let's briefly revisit the pre-Enlightenment era known as the Dark Ages. Um, first, this is where the Enlightenment propaganda decoder ring comes in, and it's, it's actually pretty simple. So Dark Ages equals Christendom equals evil. So dark, Christianity, evil. Modernity is enlightened, light equals good. So there's your propaganda decoder ring for um, understanding these things and all the language that we use and we see for the last several hundred years. The name alone, enlightenment, broadcasts the propaganda as much as uh, what we see with the woke stuff today. Um, and that what that implies is that the pre-woke world was asleep. Uh, we have the same game being played out again and again, and it's actually kind of boring. Um, Karl Marx tried to do a takedown of what he, the enemy of the bourgeoisie, and his villain was Christianity and the class system. In the Enlightenment, the enemy was the same. It was Christianity. Um, in the latest manifestation of Marxism, guess who is the enemy? It's Christianity, but also um, white men. The long-term Nazi plan was to stamp out Christianity. Um, is anyone yawning yet? Um, we can keep going if needed all the way back to Julian the Apostate or Marcus Aurelius or Nero. Christianity is always the enemy. The common enemy of worldly power is Christianity because it won't bend to uh, the will of whatever the leaders want. And the, of the groups I talked about, those ideologies were very different, yet their enemy was always Christianity. And guess who remains standing after all of these ideologies flame out? Guess who? Jesus. 
And I've heard people say, we are finally getting out from Christianity and the patriarchy. Um, and then, you know, today men and white men in particular are, are the enemy. Of course, I'm one of them. Uh, but it, it's hard to tell these true believers that, no, you are not getting out from under Christianity because Jesus is the ruler of this world. He's seated at the right hand of God. He will be there no matter what person is in power, and they only have power because God has allowed it for whatever reason he sees in the greater plan. So there's also this huge misapplication of the doctrine of original sin, which happens ad nauseum repeatedly as we have this underdog and oppressor story play out. Um, now, that's not to say that some of those things aren't true. They definitely are. Like racism is real. Um, there's been many things improved through like workers' efforts. Um, but the reason we cannot get to the kingdom of God is because the whispers of the evil one keeps this loop of pride happening in us. And that goes for the kings who abused it. That goes for ideologies like communism that abused it. That goes for the church itself who's abused it when the church becomes the center instead of Jesus. Um, that's a key thing to remember is every problem that comes with Christianity is when Jesus is no longer at the center of everything. And that goes for every heresy as well, which I'll probably talk about in a future episode. Um, if we consider the era of the Enlightenment, which is now being replaced with this kind of postmodern era, uh, we can track the language of the Dark Ages when that term first came to be all the way back to a writer named Petrarch, an Italian in the 1300s. But the label of the Dark Ages really took off with the French Revolution. And then everything, Middle Ages and backwards, became dark. Um, see, here's how it works. People were not free until they rejected God. You can't be free unless you reject God. Um, so here's another clue for your decoder ring. Freedom equals rejection of God. And that's how that story goes. Ignorance and error only come with obedience to God. Or so we're told. And given that we want to taste all the flowers of life, we are easily sold on this. I was sold on it. Um, if you listen to my series on unmoderning, um, talk a lot about that because we are told uh, everything in, in school that the self is the most important, your uniqueness. And that leads to this kind of wrong kind of freedom, the, the wrong idea of freedom. It's always a lie in the end and it plays out that way. Uh, people find this out in their own falls and in their own redemption, and nations do as well, as nations uh, fall because they, they translate freedom to the, the bad kind after uh, they get through periods where people were understanding freedom as obedience and building things, and, and then they fall into, don't tell me what to do. That's the type of freedom we're in in America now. This happens repeatedly throughout history. Um, Israel itself found this out the hard way, repeatedly until it finally was kicked out of the promised land entirely for 1,900 years. So when the temple fell in 70 AD, that's when the, the Jews were no longer allowed in Palestine. In fact, they didn't even, they, it's been called Palestine since then. Um, this goes to the parable that Jesus tells about uh, when the master sends his son and he sends all these uh, envoys before him or prophets and they kill him and eventually they kill the son and he tells the, in the parable that he will then take the land away, basically. It's an interesting parable uh, in Luke because that's exactly what happens to the nation of Israel for 1,900 years. 
So choosing the freedom of the self versus the freedom of obedience to God takes your takes a person or a nation down very different paths. And this is the story of the decline of Christian values in the West. Somehow it keeps springing up, but right now it's obviously on its um, it appears to be in, in the corner, kind of on its last legs. Taking the easier path is always the lesson in biblical stories that doesn't work out well. Um, when Lot goes to live in Sodom, instead of taking the less arable, uh, the, 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 he takes the better agricultural land, and Abraham goes to where it's, uh, the land is less good. Um, in our current state, we constantly choose the easier path, and we've done so with massive encouragement from writers and media, from uh, especially the Enlightenment propaganda, all the way back even before the Enlightenment from the Renaissance era right up to the day of the iPhone. The perceived gains in efficiency and leisure all come with a cost, though. Uh, it's been long observed by writers like Neil Postman that we are amusing ourselves to death. But not only does entertainment take our eye off the road, the right road of life, it breaks our connection to nature entirely to the point that people become disconnected from even the sources of food that we eat. And I always like to point out the dinosaur chicken nuggets in the store, um, which have nothing related even closely to the actual chicken that died. Um, anyway, during the Dark Ages, we lived in a far greater connection with nature. Uh, when we had no radios or phones, when we shivered near wood stoves, when we lived near animals, near the woods, near pastures, we had a far better idea of spirits than we do today. I suspect it was far easier to talk about spirits when you could hear the blizzard whipping at night outside of your little house or hut or even a castle um, than it is today where we watch TV in our Snuggie as seen on TV uh, in front of our gas fireplace or amid the humming white noise of forced air furnace heat um, and walled in in our houses with airtight spray and insulation, you know, and drywall. So, uh, no, the, the people in the dark ages did not have hot tubs or cold beer or vibrators, but they had something much greater, and that was a spiritual sense of life. Uh, the many advances that came through engineering and science proclaimed that unending progress in technology would bring freedom. And there's always this utopia thing happening with, with technology. If you've ever gone to a tech conference, if you've ever gone to one, everything they're building is creating a better world. There's no question about it. That's, that's in every pitch of every, comp, every uh, speaker is how the, the next app, the next solution will create a better world. Um, I think there's, there's a great comedy on that in the show called Silicon Valley where they mock that uh, happening at these conferences. Now, I don't want to experience a Minnesota winter without uh, a forced air furnace if I don't have to, but a furnace does not bring salvation. And faced with the choice of losing God or losing my furnace, I would choose to remain with God and ideally, I pray, avoid living in the eternal furnace. My point is that people were far more in touch with nature and its awesome power and likewise, we're, we're more connected to the world of ghosts. Uh, we don't experience either now as we lean over Chromebooks and live out the myth of narcissists staring into the mirror of a screen that reflects our mind back to us. So unless the storm breaks into our lives somehow, we don't get to recognize our weakness and need for something greater than ourselves to save us. And God still somehow does find a way to invade our 
cozy houses. It just takes longer than it did in the Dark Ages. God still has a way of breaking into the world, uh, even with all of our engineered comfort. A storm can strike even while you lay on the couch. Uh, it can strike you while you're uh, on the bus or sitting at work. Uh, that's, when, that's when God can press his thumb on you and you can feel that weight. And you wonder, what is this all about? Why, why am I here? Why am I doing this? Um, is it my career? You know, eventually that's what happens with careers. Midlife crisis has come up uh, because people have been putting everything into it and realize that's not what I was really after in life. Um, Jesus climbs into our boat like he did with Peter. He invades us with his grace. And how you react to it will be the climactic moment of your life. God is never coercive. He lets us choose, and we do choose. Uh, one way or another, we say yes or no to God, whether we think we have or not. We have. We've already decided. Every day we decide. Many people today say, nature is my church, and I know why. You know, those who spend time in the woods sense something out there, something awesome. You don't need a sequoia tree to appreciate the awesomeness of nature. You don't have to go out to California to see those trees. A sapling will do. Um, an acorn or a pine cone will do from the street that you're on. You can spend time in amazement looking at a blade of grass if you hold it close enough. Uh, my point is that we do not experience nature reading papers in the journal Nature. Knowing how nature works is not an experience of nature. We experience the awe of nature by participating in nature that is being out in nature. Uh, being able to summon from memory the Latin names of plants is not experiencing nature. That is bottling nature for our consumption. Uh, a child jumping in a pile of leaves understands nature far better than a naturalist collecting beetles in jars. There is more nature experienced in slapping a single mosquito around a campfire than reading an entire book on microbiology in a library. That is exactly, exactly how the prayer life works as well. It's how speaking a foreign language works or playing a musical instrument. You don't experience things from the books. You experience things by participating. I have a book about the science of swimming, but I don't take it with me swimming. The reason people feel churchy in nature is because they are no longer watching planet Earth on the Discovery Channel. They are discovering Earth and creation itself. When we disconnect from cities and books and screens and traffic and noise and the ego dramas of people and TV shows and every other pornish eye candy that we have invented, something incredible happens. We become more whole. We become whole again. And when we become whole, we become more spiritual because we are both body and soul. And whenever we deny the soul, we become less human. We become only half of the image and likeness of God when we downplay the soul. Whenever I'm on a hiking trail and come across someone blasting music on his smartphone, I say to myself, sarcastically, you know what this walk in the woods is missing? You know what it's missing? is top 40 music. Thank you, Justin Bieber. You've made it complete. Um, no, it's the silence of the woods, the bird songs or the babbling stream that recalibrate our soul to the tune of God. Justin Bieber does not do that. And by no coincidence, fairy tales mostly occur in the woods since that is where spirits are felt. 
that's where we feel spiritual. Being in nature re-enchants us, giving us a sense of the spiritual. We feel whole in the woods and thereby a sense of holiness. And here's a hint. These two words are related, wholeness and holiness. The reason the woods doesn't need Justin Bieber is because it is already complete by itself. What people find in the woods is creation, and like God, when he finished making it, he said, it is good. And we can all see that when we go to the woods. That's why we feel religious there, or nature is my church, that saying. Even if we come across death in the woods of plants or insects or animals, we can see the circle of life without the need for Elton John to sing about it. Like the woods, uh, we feel more whole because a spiritual presence can be felt and it can be stifled and ruined by simply pulling out your iPhone to take a selfie. Gadgets and phones in the woods is the guaranteed way to lose the wholeness because they have all the temptations of the city, the world, and the nations. All the falls of man are present in the phone so that every time you place a screen before you know, your nose, you become less whole. This is because the self gets in the way of the soul. The mind replaces the soul. The mind is meant to connect body and soul, but the mind becomes the self. And even the word selfie gives away the essence of the problem. We can even sense that our bodies are good in nature. I don't think a hiker looking at a grove of trees is likely to think, I need to lose weight or I should inject Botox into my face this week. But if they are taking selfies when they're looking at that grove of trees and holding up the mirror to their face, those ideas leap to the forefront of the mind. Or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe carrying a mirror of our thoughts everywhere we go doesn't give us um, connectedness, uh, anxiety. Uh, maybe it doesn't reduce our wholeness. I think it does. Um, I'm sure the media companies would disagree because they need to sell more phones. Uh, in the woods, the wholeness seeps in. The joy of something profoundly close and transcendent touches you in the brush of a plant, a fern. And while the sense of something higher and unreachable calls out to your soul, you can have both of these things. There's something far and something near in nature. There's this paradox of the transcendent farness and the imminent nearness nature of God. The reason nature feels spiritual is because God made it and he made you. Of course it feels spiritual. In the woods you are closer to home than ever. When out among creation you are reminded of your own creation. The spirits identified by the ancient people are still in the woods. They are still everywhere but we ignore them because we are walled in by the sound and light produced by artificial gadgets. Distraction is the best angle the devil has to make us forget not only God, but to make us forget the devil too. He is counting on us to do that. And every time you reach for a device, he is rubbing his hands in lieu of taking your soul on the last day of your life. Through our obedience to science, we have decided angels and devils are too childish to accept. Those ideas were for the primitive minds of people before the year, say, 1500. Those ideas are for the fearful, we think. And surely we are more sophisticated. Our sophistication is our paper shield against all superstition. Hence, we have cartoon Tinkerbells and Casper the Friendly Ghost and Red Devils that look ridiculous. It assures us there is nothing to fear in the spiritual world. 
We have horror movies galore. People flock to them. But there is something to fear. And we all know it. And it's called death. The whole reason for the walls we build is to push that fear aside, down the line, away from our present. Our society reviles death to the point that open casket funerals are nearly a thing of the past. No one wants to see a body. A neat cremation is preferred. It's cleaner, um, kind of like the dinosaur chicken nuggets that bear no resemblance to the once living chicken. This is the irony of our alleged sophistication. It isolates us from the realities of life and death. We openly mock those whose lives still occupy the spaces of nature. And there's the hillbilly, uh, the hunter, the farmer. Um, but I'll tell you, the hillbilly with his trout and the hunter that we call savage and the farmer who delivers pigs uh, from, a, from a mother all have a far closer relationship to nature than the billions who live in cities. And we honestly, we mock what we fear. That's the truth. We mock the Amish. We mock Mennonites. We mock anyone who doesn't live in our uh, modern technology world. We mock Christians who don't fall in line with just the way of life that uh, allows anything to happen at any time whenever we want it. The microwaved world of modernity. Having had a chance myself to work on farms and the great fortune of in my life to have those opportunities, I have noticed that those who live among tangible, palpable nature that you can touch with daily chores that involve blood and manure, who see life and death as daily occurrences, they have an understanding of things that books can never provide. And this is why I turn the volume down whenever someone from Silicon Valley offers instructions for living. I have gained more in five minutes watching calves being born, delivered by a farmer with an eighth grade education than I have ever gained from 100 hours of human resource training videos or TED Talks on how I should think. The birth of a calf, let alone a human being, is watching a sacred miracle of life bursting forth. Now watching an HR training video from my company, that's a mandatory brain death march at the bayonet of my paycheck. The spiritual flatness that we have allowed into our lives is stunningly obvious to an increasing number of people, but the pleasure of making money lures and keeps us in this trap. I was nudged, even coached and guided into the office life, despite the movements of my heart telling me from my very first hour in a cubicle, this is a birdcage, escape now. But the language of Babel kept me there. After all, I speak Babel. God helps those who helps themselves. Get rich or die trying. You know, that's, uh, that's 50 Cent and Benjamin Franklin. And they speak the same language. I speak Babel. I speak the same language that they do. This wall against the possibility of spirits is built and shored up with mockery as mortar. We've forgotten that spirits can pass through those walls. Disney is freezing these spirits in time every time they take another fairy tale into captivity. Uh, by bringing fairies to the screen, fairies become less believable. Science has decided what is reasonable to believe, and Disney has killed off our imagination. Uh, Disney's in the business of turning imagination into a science, even calling their engineers imagineers. They are quantifying and qualifying the intangible. Cinderella was once a fairy tale for each of us to imagine. And now she is cast into a single image in her blue dress as if that image was hammered onto a stone tablet in Orlando. 
Science and Disney have denied the spirits by reducing them to engineered cartoons. And now in the former, we downplay it with science, and in the latter, we play it up as quaint fantasy with Disney. So I've taken a huge detour into the woods here in this section, but now let's bring it back to the desert, to Jesus once again, and that third temptation. So Jesus has three temptations in the desert. And in Genesis, there are three falls. I'm going with three falls of man. There's Adam, and then there's Cain, and then there's the Tower of Babel story that I'm focusing on in this series. Um, I'm skipping the Nephilim story in chapter 6 of Genesis, but there is a fall there as well. But I'll stick with Adam, Cain, and Babel, or this series will never end. It'll never end if I add the fourth. So in all three falls, spirits are involved. In all three temptations of Christ, spirits are involved. The falls all occur due to our, our failure to accept God. And in all three falls, humility before God is lacking. Pride reigns. Pride cometh before the fall, to quote John Milton. The whole Bible is about mastering yourself by tamping down your pride. To keep from being deceived, we have to ignore the questioning whisper that suggests to you that God is lying, that he is not real. And to keep sin from pouncing on you like Cain, we have to mash our pride into a slurry and send it down the garbage disposal. To keep from trying to manipulate God, we must offer him gratitude and praise, not sacrifices for a, a transaction. All right, that's the end of this part of Why Did Peter Sink? I'll be back with one, uh, some more episodes on this Me Speak Babble, the Gate of God series. I hope you're enjoying it, and I'll see you on the next episode.